Welcome to the party, pals. I'm Phil Gawthorne, action movie screenwriter. And I'm Liam Billingham, movie podcaster. And together we host Die Hard on a Blank, a podcast from Sugar23 that explores the influence of Die Hard on action cinema. In each episode, we'll talk about one major action movie that was released after Die Hard. Now, some of these movies take place on a bus. On a boat. Or even a roadhouse. Uh, sure. The point is, these are action movies that couldn't exist without Die Hard, and its DNA is everywhere. Die Hard on a Blank is a celebration of action movies and a deep dive into the ways that Die Hard shaped the action genre. So if you're a casual fan or an action movie Die Hard. Ooh, very nice. Then Die Hard on a Blank is for you. Yes, you personally. Our first two episodes, which are all about the original 1988 masterpiece Die Hard, drop December 21st, because Die Hard is a Christmas movie, wherever you get your podcasts. Phil, do the line. Now we have a podcast. (laughs) Ho, ho, ho. Hey all, this is George. Uh, before we get into the episode, just want to make sure uh, that everybody subscribed to our podcast. Make sure to rate, review us uh, wherever you find our podcast. iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, wherever the hell you might be listening through this or to this. Uh, and also uh, find us on, uh, online. You can email us at overbusters at gmail.com. Questions, concerns, issues, just no hate mail, please. Um, I think we prefer... Actual snail mail for the hay mail. And uh, also find us on Twitter at uberbusters at... Is it twitter.com? But we're on Twitter. Just find us on Twitter. All right, guys. Peace. Hey, all. Liam here. Uh, George forgot to mention something. Classic George. That our music on the episode is by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com. He has a bunch of free music on his site. You should check it out. That's Kevin McLeod, Incompetech.com. Thank you, Kevin. Enjoy the show. I'm George Rogopoulos. I'm Liam Billingham. And this is Oeuvre Busters. So let's not let's not do that. That seems silly. We'll figure this out. Yeah, we'll do like a slow fade into us kind of like talking. So um the decibel level. Uh, I think get. that maybe when you when you when you, when you consider it. When you consider, yeah. yeah. Welcome to the first episode of our podcast. Welcome to the first episode of our podcast. Probably also the last. That's the... not true. Okay. That's an inaccurate. We'll, we'll have like we're two. We're going to have two. At least two. We're going to have two. Let's see if it's viable. We're gonna, well, you know, in spirit of the film that we're talking about today, we could have one that's really amateurish and bad and then make a <sighs> second version of it. That almost sounds like a commentary on the film, which is amateurish, sure, but in the best way. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, you know, uh, the movie we're talking about is John Cassavetti's Shadows. Which is an auspicious start for a podcast where we don't know what we're doing because he famously made it once, uh, released it um, in limited release, and the, the only real traction that it got was Jonas Mikas writing about it in film culture and being like, this is the major achievement of like a new voice. And then he was embarrassed by it, or I don't really know all the history, but kind of like pulled it and then remade it, but perpetrated the myth of its improvisational style and in right. fact it was like very very tightly scripted because the film actually ends by claiming it was all improvisation yeah this film was an improvisation i believe is the final title yeah. of the movie which yeah it's Nin- 1959 should also kind of give the year shot originally in 1957 uh-huh. and then refilmed and i believe you know there are definitely a ton of material from or it looks to me like there's material from both versions of the film that are in the final cut 
of the film. But I, it is an auspicious start because there are two versions of the movie. Oh, there are. Very well. Much like Chinese Bookie? Much like Chinese Bookie, but it's much, much more controversial uh. with this movie. Anyway, you're right. So, yeah, uh, we should talk about where this came from. Well, also, by the way, I mean, this might be... Um, so, I watched it on Filmstruck. Mm-hmm. Uh, our, our sponsor for this uh, our first Filmstruck.com, podcast. Filmstruck.com, yeah. where films make... Yeah, films call us yeah call, call us, call us. Give, call us. Us, give us money uh, I don't know about you but I'm already cashing checks from this endeavor sure um, and it's it's great because it's uh, I, I could use a bigger apartment extra, extra money new car the so I was watching on a film show I don't know where, where, did you see on I, DVD so I or even Blu-ray this is a good question I downloaded it on Amazon Prime. I own Filmstruck, ah. but I was planning to watch it on a train ride home from Foxwoods Casino on Sunday afternoon. So you need the money from this podcast to keep your gambling addiction going. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, the truth I gambled out, yeah. $20 and I uh, lost six. Um, yeah, I, I watched uh, I watched it on my tablet, my Amazon Fire tablet. Wow, you are an Amazon whore. <laughs> I, I am. Did your vis- version also talk about the restoration at the very beginning? Yes. It's okay. the same. It's the same. I think they pull from the criteria. Right. Okay, so great. I mean, this is also a perfect segue to. I just wanted to introduce our our first guest. This is like really awesome. Like, um, you you all out there might know him as uh, the director of Taxi Driver and Goodfellas. 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 <laughs> Goodfellas is the Goodfellas. original version of Goodfellas. <laughs> yeah, it's there's also two more... versions of that. And uh, of course, Hugo. So, uh, Marty Scorsese, do you want to say anything? About, do you want to say anything about uh, film restoration and the process? And oh, he's leaving the studio. Yeah, he's just walking right. He's he weird. He's offended because I call it Goodfellows. <laughs> yeah, he is. <laughs> um, Maybe we shouldn't laugh at our own podcast. It's okay. It's fine. God, we're going to have to edit the fuck out of this. <laughs> it's cool. It's a good start. It's good. <laughs> also, by the way, do you like that through line that goes from like Taxi Driver to Goodfellas? To Hugo, there's like nothing else. <laughs> That's the only movies he made. That's nothing the thing. Else. People forget that he's not very prolific. He made Taxi Driver, Goodfellows, Hugo, and No Direction Home, the That's Bob it. Dylan documentary. And there's pretty much nothing else in between. Everything else was um, ghost directed by uh, Andrew Garfield, so the star the, of Silence. Yeah. So the idea of this train rock started when you you uh, brought to my attention that batshit crazy, which maybe we'll talk about when we eventually get to the Husbands episode. Of if we get to the husband's if episode. We get to the husband's episode. Right. Um, if we don't get canceled before yeah. that. <laughs> of the Dick Cavett show where Falk, Gazzara, and Cassavetes. Ah, uh, yes. At some point in the past five or six years, uh, the EV Club posted their, like, a clip of the very infamous John Cassavetes, Ben Gazzara, and Peter Falk appearance on Dick Cavett to promote husbands. And it is... It is just bad shit. Crazy. It's like, crazy. It's crazy because they are they're drunk. Clearly. At the very least they're drunk. At the very least they're drunk. Um and I mean these are guys I mean at least one of them died of uh cirrhosis of the liver, John Cassavetes. So it wasn't like they're clearly drinking a lot, they're partying a lot, and they clearly made a pact to bully or to make Dick Cavett's life as difficult as possible. And this is normally a show where like, you know, he had funny guests, but like Jean Luc Godard would come out or um, you know, he would, it was a very like sort of comfortable, familiar, you know, Dick Cavett is the kind of guy that you invite into your home. And John Cassavetes is the type of guy whose movies you watch in like a dark movie theater that probably was playing porn <laughs> two hours before. And there's still some like skeevy types in the movie theater. Not anymore. Now it's like, well, that's actually how I did watch this. I didn't really watch it on film shock shadows. Yeah. You I, rented a porno theater. Well, there's a, that, the last one in times square, believe it or not. Is there really still a porno? No, theater? No, no. It's the Ruli Giuliani Memorial if, Porn if, if Theater. 
They should fucking bury him in the in the uh, the basement of that they place. They should bury him. Dies. Uh, you, like shoot him out of a cannon. What was, what was Antigone? What they do to Antigone's brother? They just left him to rot. Left him to rot. Yeah. Just, let's. Oh, that would be awesome. Mm. And, We're um, gonna get canceled for making offensive statements. Holy shit! And then like Donald Trump is like screaming outside of, like the city walls, like <gasps> give him a burial, give him a proper burial. That would the be fucking walls, amazing. the Mexico wall. Uh, yeah, of course. Yeah, the I just meant like the walls of New York City or well, something. Those walls that yeah. that make up our fair metropolis. <laughs> um. So yeah, John Cassavetes, Ben Gazzara. And Peter Falk are on Dick Cavett show. Yeah. Um, and they just they spend 40 minutes not answering his questions. They're just being terrible guests. And it when I saw it five years ago, six years ago, I thought it was like the funniest goddamn thing I, I'd ever seen. And now it's still funny, but it's like a lot harder to die as a, you know, as a 35 year old adult versus like a 27 year old adult. It's a, I don't know what's changed for me, but it's a lot harder to digest. It's just well, the like bullying it becomes way more apparent. Right. And also that they're performing this kind of what we would now recognize as douchey kind of bro behavior. And it's very toxic. It's like toxic masculinity. Totally. Which is also what that film is both kind of right. uh, celebrating in a weird way, but also critiquing, I think. I think, um, and the, you know, this is not the Husbands episode, yeah. but years later, but now a year ago, um, I saw Husbands for the first time and I was like blown away. It's an amazing movie. Um, but I don't know... I don't know where I stand on Cassavetti's um, understanding of the toxic masculinity that he portrayed versus the toxic masculinity that he actually engaged in. Totally. And that, I mean, for me, and I'd like to hear more from you, I mean, it's very possible that's intentional. I mean, not intentional, but it's very possible he didn't think about that because I don't think that's based on what I've read about him and what I know about him. That was something that... um, he deeply considered so you mean considered what like like he wasn't concerned with what people thought right it it was a different time and he's a he was the kind of artist that was like i'm gonna work on impulse and instinct and not center myself Uh, which you know you could believe that that's true of anyone or not uh, you know to add a qualifier but he i'm you know i i'm still i I think it's worth reckoning and wrestling with this artist who's so celebrated in the community of people that i know i.e filmmakers more specifically myopically white male filmmaker types right though that's certainly not the extent of his fan base um and so i thought it'd be worth looking at his movies without necessarily even that being the angle it's sort of examining those movies to see what we find totally in a contemporary way of looking at the films yeah and there's also a lot of obviously historical significance just with his body of work in terms of kind of it's uh i guess relationship to indie filmmaking in general mm-hmm. and kind of this film in particular as i don't know inaugurating a new kind of gorilla kind of type of filmmaking it's mm-hmm. so like pick up a fucking camera which i mean obviously like godard's also doing around the same time as well so it's not in some sort of way like totally totally uh yeah, I guess that's true. Because breath, I looked it up actually. Cause Breathless is what? Uh, so this you said this was filmed in fifty six. Fifty six, fifty seven. So I think Breathless came out in sixty. Okay, I could be wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I looked it up, and there were, there were only in terms of release, and obviously, there's something to be said about when they were made or filmed, and then when they were released. But I think there's only a year separating these two films. I would guess that, and I don't know, maybe this isn't a thing. But I would guess that uh, John Luke Godard would have want very little to do with John Cassavetti's style of working, even though they they probably had a lot in common. Yeah, that's I mean that's really interesting. I did not think <laughs> about that. That's a claim I have no right to make. 
Um, but it's I, an interesting idea. There's just that one scene where, and I keep talk about mispronouncing names, uh, potentially mispronouncing names of our, the name of our podcast. It's uh, Lelia? Uh, Lelia. Lelia. Yeah, I there's thought Leela, I thought for years. I thought Leela too, but it's Lelia. There's that one scene where she's walking around. It looks like it's Times Square, and she's kind of looking at all those ads. And it just reminded me of that scene of Godard, of Breathless in particular, with Humphrey oh, Bogart. Oh yeah, yeah. And that's yeah. why I was like, oh shit, there's like parallels here. But obviously, I'm not saying that I'm not saying that Godard fucking watched this movie and was influenced. He was like, by oh, it. he probably did. I'm sure it was. I don't know. So I guess you know to sum up this the thing. I think we're we're starting with Cassavetes because there's a desire to examine that work and sort of see what that toxic masculinity well not what toxic masculinity is but there's sort of a it's sort of looking at it from a critiquing point standpoint and also looking at that there's already a lot of ink spilled digitally and real ink <laughs> on cassavetes it's it's ink but it's ink, ink, ink. It's digital ink and ink ink there's a lot of digital ink and ink spilled on john cassavetes so it's worth examining uh it and understanding that it's, you know, he would, he would, I believe, based on my, you know, in intimate relationship with him, um, want people to uh, think about the possibility that he was both the thing that he despised and and the thing that he critiqued. Totally. And this film also kind of does present us with uh, a variety of different really shitty masculinities. So do you want to, um, that aside, do you, is there anything you want to add to why we're doing this? Oh, again, it's just for the checks, man. Just for the it's just for the fucking paper. <laughs> I'm chasing that paper. That 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 Cassavetti's paper, yeah. that film paper. Yeah, if you don't mind now, uh, our other sponsor, uh, I'd like to read this ad from Stamps.com. Okay, go for uh, it. Stamps.com. Folks, going to the podcast. <laughs> going <laughs> go to the go to the podcast going, office. Going to the post office is hard. It's hard, but you now have to wait in line. Serious question though: Was were were audiences going into this film? supposed to be like oh i didn't realize she was black is that something oh um so let's before we do that okay. um let's 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 break things down for the for our listener that hasn't seen shadows um plebs. had you seen plebs had you seen shadows before i've not no and actually i didn't see uh i speaking of plebs i am i'm, I'm the ultimate pleb i actually had not seen any cassavetes at all other than him, and uh, he was in the Dirty Dozen, wasn't he? Yes, he is in the Dirty Dozen. Of course, phenomenal in the Dirty phenomenal. Dozen. Phenomenal. Yeah, which I think also was the 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 peak of Greek American cinema because it's Cassavetes and Tali fucking Savalas, Kojak yeah. himself. That's crazy. Yeah. We should mention that George is Greek American with a last name like Forgopoulos. <laughs> you hadn't said totally. it yet. I hadn't said it. Well, maybe in the introduction, so you which we haven't recorded yet, which we're gonna do. So but you I had not hadn't seen, seen a John Cassavetes movie. Correct. I obviously knew of Cassavetes, and I knew of like the legend, the myth, the legend. Have you not? You've seen so you you've seen uh, Husbands and the link to the Dick Cavett interview that I sent you, and now Shadows. You've seen Husbands. I've seen Husbands. Okay, yeah. so you'd seen John Cassavetes movie. But only I said only until you got me. Right, to right, right, watch right. Something. Was there a was there a reason why I didn't go yeah, to? Yeah, had you ever in, gone like internal oh, racism? I really, <laughs> yeah, towards I was, Greek, Greek Americans. Americans. Yeah, I'm like I'm just not. No, I'm kidding. Um, it just got in the way of all my Michael Bay uh, film watching. Can we also eventually we will get to Michael Bay to talk about the proto fascism, right? Yeah, that, we have to. We have to. But no, coming back to I'm not you. So so it was, so there was no like it wasn't like oh God, like I I feel personally took me a while to get into him and like again i went to fucking film school 
I have that's like you know I work in film I teach film and I but I mostly hadn't seen John Cassavetes movies until a couple years ago and that's because I was probably afraid that they were like impenetrable like I, I I'm sure they were amazing I kind of had that feeling I tried to watch faces mm-hmm. I couldn't do it it really stressed me out but finally I watched women under the influence and then a bunch of time passed I think I was really like anxious about them on some level like it was going to be a real challenge to watch them yeah, that's really interesting, too, because um, I also watched, there's a really short clip with Barry Jenkins on mm-hmm. Filmstruck talking about kind of his relationship to Cassavetes' films, and he, which is obvious also when you, I guess you watch any Cassavetes film, is that how much the performances are foregrounded. Yeah. So obviously, in Shadows, nothing really happens. It's very picaresque. Do you want to, um, ooh, picaresque. Do you want to take word? us through, if I, you, if you, I can't sum up Shadows. Can you sum up the plot? Strictly plot. Well, again, there's or no story. real plot. So, a whole bunch of shit happens in the very beginning. You're kind of introduced to Hugh and Rupert. And I don't know who the actor who played Rupert is, but that guy is fucking him. His name is Rupert. Awesome. Oh, the actor himself also. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah he, yeah. Hugh and Rupert. Hugh, what's, who is Hugh? Uh, Layla's brother. Who's like Layla? Lelia? Lelia. 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 Lelia's brother. Not Ben. So, there's Benny. There's three main characters. Ooh, I'd say there's. Four, I guess three. Three, well, four, three and like a major supporting. Yeah. Okay. So there's Benny, who's who's like the beatnik, like jazz trumpeter, trumpeter. who we never hear play jazz. Correct, because the the actor probably can't play. Right. And I'll uh, y- yeah. Then there's Hugh, who's, who's like a kind of like I guess closest to kind of the broy brother. Like Benny's the more kind of in- introverted, kind of intellectual. It seems and probably a little aggressive and angry. Yeah, but Socially not towards isolated. His, right, but not towards his sister. He's not protective of his sister in the same way that I guess Hugh seems to be in a kind mm-hmm. of possessive sort of way. Yeah, he's very possessive. And he's. we should say that both Hugh and Ben are jazz, or jazz guys. Hugh, well, Hugh, Hugh, Hugh sings, right? He sings some standards. You get the impression that he's a singer. He's a singer. Somewhere on the like lower totem pole of, of singers. Totally. And Lelia doesn't doesn't seem to do. She she well. So the, the Lelia is interesting in that she's their sister. She lives. They all live together somewhere in the city. I think in the fort in like Midtown Manhattan. And she doesn't seem to really like do. She doesn't seem to have a job. She's super young. She's very young. She's not twenty. She's twenty. She says she's twenty at one point. Well, in the she movie. loses her virginity to the yeah to Tony. To Tony, who's, who will, who's a guy that attracts her at a party and the one of the first sort of not the first thing that maybe one of the first things we see of her is at a party with uh dave did i forgot what that guy's name is but i love that talk about sartre and existential yeah yeah so she's so fucking dated it's amazing it's amazing so she's so they're 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 siblings and they all live together in midtown and she doesn't really seem to have a burning desire to do much of anything or she's she's young so she doesn't know the other thing that you discover about them is that they are um i guess they're of mixed heritage it never really explains it or right. attempts to explain it or so ben benny ben and lelia are and hugh are well hugh's, hughes i just thought they were supposed to be light-skinned like that they're very light-skinned or it's unclear they're it's played never by white actors which would also kind of make clear they are played by white actors yeah. um but q is much more dark-skinned correct um, and that sort of becomes a, a, a an internal engine. If the movie has a story, it's um, 
the story of Lelia falling and falling for Tony. Who He's also is a musician. Tony is a musician? At least that's what my John Cassavetes textbook said. And by textbook, I mean Wikipedia. Okay, so Tony, she, she falls for Tony, who's a musician, white white guy, and who has a negative reaction when he sees that Lelia's brother, Hugh, is black. And it sort of sets off a something of a story. There's really not a... It's sort of a, a film that follows three people as they change a small amount. Right. Through the course of an indeterminate amount of time. I also won't spend the entire podcast citing Wikipedia, but Wikipedia also told me that the incite, the inciting uh, incident for this film was something that Cassavetes um, did in um, in film school or in acting, acting school? class. Acting he was class. teaching acting right, somewhere okay, yeah. in the city. And that it's the obviously like the pivotal moment in this film where again Tony finds out in fact that Lily is black is meant to replicate or kind of. Um, it comes from Cassavetes, this kind of moment in acting school for Cassavetes. Yeah, he was teaching an acting class and something happened. I don't know what it was, but... Was he teaching it? He was teaching it. He was teaching teaching it. it. And he decided to make an improvised film with um, several of his students. And in between that, a whole bunch of just kind of crazy shit happens, mundane shit happens. Yeah, Ben Ben hangs out with two guys who are sort of prototypical bros whose names are or whose names are i believe tom and dennis tom and dennis and i just love that scene where they go to the moma and, and they're they walking go to around MoMA, the garden and they're kind of bro and they get into a very intense argument right and there's also some professor bashing uh i think by dennis yeah, in this moment which i did not appreciate there's some negativity about um well this is interesting because ben kind of you know one of the things that's hanging over the whole movie whether it's you know and, and we can get into this whether it's intentional or not. That sweeping arm that gesture was really great for the you, podcast. Yeah, too. I just did a very sweeping arm gesture. I thought that another name for this podcast, which I'm sure somebody has already stolen, but like uh, fa- uh, faces made for podcasting. Faces, faces, of, faces of podcast. Yeah, or faces made. Welcome for to our podcast, faces of podcast, yeah. which also again references Cassavetes. George Faceopolis right. is of one of the co. The co- that's uh, it's definitely that's racist, but I'm going to let it. I'm going to let it slide. Oh, come on. <laughs> um, yeah, hanging, and so they, so Ben hangs out with these two guys, De- De- Dennis and Tom, ben, and they kind of like get drunk and meet girls, and don't get really do fights. anything. And then, and um, meanwhile, Hugh is sort of a frustrated musician. He has a manager named uh, Rupert, Rupert, who's sort of Rupert kind of steals the movie in my mind. He's phenomenal. <laughs> He's in amazing. It. And they kind of are dealing with the struggles of trying to find gigs and that sends them to places like Philadelphia and Cleveland and all over and they have a few scenes that are shot at, at Grand Central that are really nice well that and final scene the like, final scenes at Grand Central right that like monologue that Rupert has where he's kind of fed up with everything and then and then Lelia has sort of this affair going on with Tony who Hugh doesn't approve of and um, you know it, it's hard to sum this movie up uh, in a few sentences yeah, so what do you I think thought- of the movie Overall, I mean, I really, I loved it. Yeah. I thought it I was. I loved it too. There were, there were moments that I could tell and which I kind of just kind of appreciated. I mean, the rawness of it. Um, and it's unfortunate that it's in such shitty condition because mm-hmm, you print. can tell it is kind of in, in very shitty condition. Right. But yeah, there's just kind of this raw energy to it. Mm-hmm. Some of it felt kind of dated to me, all the kind of the, the beatnik kind of stuff and like the oh, jazz so kind so of funny. stuff i feel like it could have been made yesterday i i know what you mean about the beatnik stuff it feels like a very contemporary movie but and there's I'm, no transformers in it that's true so how can it be my a legitimate <laughs> contemporary no transformers. No transformers c minus <laughs> um i do think um i do think besides there being no uh um 
Autobots or Decepticons. <laughs> the acting feels very, very, very contemporary. Correct. Um, you can see the influence on uh, any film that comes out now. I mean, it's it, whether and I, in some cases, I'd be curious to know how many filmmakers know that there's a that this is a it's how much of it is just bled into the culture at large. But it feels very. It feels like it could have been made yesterday. Right. Um, in a lot of, in a lot, a lot, a lot of ways. Which is also kind of, it, while I was watching it too, I was kind of amazed by, again, considering the limited budget he was working on. And I was like, how many two or three takes could he have possibly done with any of these shots? And I'm yes. assuming not many. No, I feel like a lot of it is first and second takes. I mean, he didn't know, like, how to make a movie. Like, he didn't... Um, under probably you know understand well okay this is where this gets interesting because there's a lot of ink spilled on john cassavetes and uh, ink 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 and you know and i think that you know so why talk about it more except to say that i think that like we're we're maybe entering a period where there's going to have to be a strong reappraisal of some of that stuff because sure he was uh, in 1959 he was probably 27 28 29 he was young i mean he looked 40 his entire life well, he's but born looking like 40 he was born looking 40 like uh, a Benjamin maybe, Button maybe kind of 1919 he was born i can't really remember Sounds but um, right. <laughs> so he would have been like at the or at the oldest well you know let's let me look this up real quick um but there's a lot of people who sort of think like oh it was all very raw and uh, all these things and that's true and it was improvised at least the first version but he, he i just googled george cassavetes <sighs> um 1929 so he would have been 30 yeah god damn it you know what i think i did look that up and Um, i thought the same thing too that's awful i was like fuck him fuck him um but i think he had a really really from that even that point on he had like a really strong control of like to me the thing that gets in the way of writing about him is the fact that everyone thinks of him this guy who had no plan and had no strategy and just kind of made movies and uh, didn't think about it too much and maybe in some ways that was true because he was foregrounded the actor but this is a guy that had like an inherent ability to use a camera he just didn't he didn't think in edits which is how most filmmakers think or coverage traditional ways of shooting things yeah there was a scene i forgot where towards the end and i think it's in the apartment and i think they're like walking through the apartment and i was kind of struck by uh like the track it was like a legitimate like tracking shot you know it mm-hmm. went on for like I remember a solid exactly minute or the so tracking shot okay. when it sort of moves over to rupert and uh hugh at one point Maybe, right? yeah right, right, and it's right. towards the end yep yeah. yeah it's like in the last 20 minutes and it was kind of like oh that's that's like a pretty fucking impressive shot mm-hmm. uh but there is a there is an incredible kind of rawness and energy to it and it's clearly more about the performances and there's yeah a, like the, the the intense close-ups obviously are kind of and you know speak to that the the reason that we're struggling to describe what the movie is is because there's you know on a, on, it's very simple it's very very simple it's about three siblings living in new york city over a period of time and kind of the the things they encounter including like job frustration racism uh, an inability to be creatively expressive and those things, but he doesn't, he operates, uh, there's no plot in any, in a lot of these movies. Um, it's really about people existing and, but he's also doing a great job at like undercutting your expectation of what story is. Like, I don't know. How did you feel about Tony? I felt he was a dick. <laughs> okay. Why? Um, well, I mean, obviously because of the, uh, the racism, but there is a certain sense in which 
Well, he doesn't actually come back at the end, right? Because he sends... Oh, no, he does. He comes back he co- to the apartment, to the, but she's apologize. already left with, uh, with the yeah. other guy who she tortures. Right. And then there's that moment where um, him and like him and Benny have like this moment. And I think that's kind of... It's this really interesting moment in the film, too, where he says he apologizes, but then he also says something along the lines of, oh, tell her I now realize we're alike. Or something. He says al- we're, we're, there's no difference there's between no you difference and me. Between, between you and me and her. Right. And I'm actually glad that the film doesn't do anything fucking saccharine and have them kind of reunite, which obviously would not be Casabetti's style at all. Uh, I love that the kind of the film ends mm. by just following Benny into the night. Yeah. After having like a very big personal realization, we could talk about that totally. in, in a second. But I mean, are you because you're trying to suggest that he's kind of a complicated character? I actually think he is. I mean. Um, the character for whom I have the most sympathy from beginning to end is Benny. Huh. Who's the, um, sort of wayward, uh, wayward intellectual character because he doesn't, he's, he's, he's sort of the most passive character of the film until the end. And like, I find that interesting. Lely, I have a lot of sympathy for. She's sort of the, the, the movie's kind of like. But but she has the scene at the end where a, an, an, a guy asks her on a date, and this is just post Tony breaking up with her for very racist, for reasons related to the fact that he's a racist, and she tortures this like young she man, does. and she makes him work really hard, in a way that I would argue might be unearned, unjustified, and that really and Hugh is the same way, and and I did that really made me like her less, but I also understood you know, Casavetes will never have a character say I'm in pain. Correct. I'm suffering. He will have them take that pain out on someone in unrealistic ways. And he trusts people watching the film to interpret why they're behaving that way. So she has a really complicated position in the second half of the movie. And Benny, I mean, not Benny, sorry, Hugh, I outright disliked from about the midpoint on of the movie. At the beginning, he's very sympathetic. But by the end, I had a lot of trouble with him. No, totally. And I think that obviously speaks to kind of the complexity of the film and his nuanced approach to character. And then he kind of just lets the characters be who they are. They're both, as you said, kind of like at moments sympathetic, at other moments totally not sympathetic. Uh, and other than, yeah, I guess I guess you're right. Lily obviously does torture that guy. I kind of forgot about that. Only, not necessarily forgot about that, but I guess I put it out of my mind only because, again, throughout the entirety of the film up until the last 15 minutes... She is like the most sympathetic character by far. By yeah, by far. She's also the most lo- like likable, you know, sympathetic, very likable, yeah. charming, um, and and to me very re- real. Totally. You know, all the characters feel real, but he presents them as in fully realized ways, and I think it's because he's approaching it like an actor would. Yeah. Hugh, um, I like, but he really loses me because he participates in the torture of this young man. Right. He's also kind of hard on... He's a manipulator. He hasn't gotten his marginal level of success without manipulation, which may say more about the system than it does about him, but... Yeah. I just I would just also turn off by the kind of, again, the bro-y, like, oh, just get the fuck out of here. Like, I don't want to talk to you. There was a certain kind of sense in which... And obviously, he's responding to Tony's racism, which he senses, but it's really also interesting because they never really... No one ever says, you're a racist, Tony. It's very well done. Totally. That never... Yes, exactly. That never comes to the surface. Do you think um, if this movie were made now, and I think that one of the things to really think about is um, John Cassavetes' uh, 
existing in the current climate. Do you feel like the 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 delicateness with which they handle Tony's realization that Lelia is black um, would it would be quite so subtle? It's very subtle. Yeah, well, I mean, isn't that like again what the Transformers movies are about? About they like really about race, race. an allegory sure. for race. They're, Decepticons uh, Autobots. We're all just fucking robots in the we're end. We're all just robots in the end, man. They've it's really got a critique us. of capitalism. They've whoa. by a fascist. Well, but you earlier said that this film. I'm coming for you, Michael Bay. <laughs> you also said earlier though that you felt like this film was really contemporary. Yes. So yeah. I, I mean, with the question of what do you mean, like, can it be made today? I mean, obviously, there's no fucking way in hell you could have cast white actors Good point. in these roles. Yeah, Ben Carruthers was not, uh, was a white man. Right. And there's also, I think, something interesting to be said. Like, uh, that's the, the the casting decisions are really weird because obviously Cassavetes was not, um, didn't want to cast black people in his films. But it's really interesting, like, well, why not then just cast light-skinned people for these roles it's a very good question um yeah i mean it is problematic i mean we're watching a movie about black life if we can say that that is what he made he would say he didn't make a movie about black life but a movie with with black characters Mm -hmm. and two of the three actors playing those black characters are 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 white people um who were briefly married Tangentially, Correct. I don't know what that was about. Again, according to the John Cassavetes textbook that I was also referring to. <laughs> Wikipedia. <laughs> Wikipedia. Um, this podcast is brought to you by Wikipedia. Wikipedia.com. Get your facts straight, ma'am. And your stamps.com from Wikipedia. And also Filmstruck. Correct. I uh, forgot about Filmstruck. We, gotta, we can't forget about Filmstruck. And, and Mar- Marty. Marty, come back. Marty, come back. Uh, he's just sulking. Marty. He's fucking it's weird. sulking. He's petting the... a cat. Yeah. It's very strange. No, those are his eyebrows. Oh. <laughs> I'm not supposed should, to make fun should, of. Listen, um, both me and Marty, and I could call him Marty. You can call him Marty. We're friends. We both went to NYU. We're tight. I taught his daughter um, directing. Yeah. Dude, this is really fucking a good. ninety minute, yeah. ninety minute ad directing right, let's class. He, let's hear it. Uh, what do you want me to tell you? Just, it, everybody's listening. By everybody, I mean our family members. They're not listening. Because we're forcing to listen. Yeah, we're to <laughs> right now, right now, guys. As you're listening to this. We're in our living rooms making everyone we love listen to this podcast. And by everyone, meaning my dog who's lying on the floor yeah, right now. Yeah, very listening. unhappy animal. Yeah. Oh, maybe asleep. Nope, just gave me dead eyes. Um, Wait. Yeah, so I taught her. It was. She's a very sweet girl. Sure. Very nice. Yeah. I didn't want to like, you know, yell at her for her dad being the reason that all of us were ruining our <laughs> lives at a very well-known New York City film institution. You've totally been within your rights to do that. You think so? She no, was, she no, was you wouldn't have been. You would not. <laughs> it would have been. been a terrible <laughs> thing to do to the girl. <laughs> the next time I see her, I'm going to yell at her. Hey, hey, I'm not going to say her name because I can't remember. She was in Hugo. Was she? Yeah, I think just for a minute. Was she the titular Hugo? No, that was a different actor. Oh, that, that was, was a different a, actor. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> for, we, we also often forget that Sasha Sasha Baron Cohen was incredible in, in Hugo. Was in Hugo. He um, reminds me of um, not playing Borat too. He reminds me of a, a young uh, Peter Sellers in that movie. Oh, and which people have said like, nope, and I'm like, no, that's like a he could he could be the, the new Clouseau. I think. Do you think he? Oh, oh I think he'd be an sense. incredible Clouseau. Yeah. I think once he like stops making B minus versions of what he did ten years ago, really, really well, he should like. Just make a goddamn Pink Panther movie. So we're going to work through all the Cassavetes, all of Michael Bay, and then all of Colin Farrell, and then Blake Edwards. And Colin Hanks. And Colin Hanks, of course. Blake Edwards. 
Yeah. Well, welcome to Colin Chat. Welcome to Colin Cast. Colin Cast? Colin we, Cast. We need to talk about the name. We do. <laughs> um, what the fuck are we talking? Oh, so um, I think it's worth talking to come back to the race thing. And again, yes. two white dudes, very informed on how to talk about race relations in America. Um, but um, Ray Carney, who's a, like sort of the foremost American scholar on John Cassavetes, wrote a, wrote a book called um, The Films of John Cassavetes, Pragmatism, Modernism, and the Movies. And he also did the, did the book Cassavetes on Cassavetes. Right. You, I think you sent me screenshots of the first one. I did. Maybe? Yeah. I, yeah. So I, someone gave me a copy of it recently, and I tried to read the section on yeah. shadows and stuff reading. Ray Carney's a very controversial guy, um, and there's two things that are worth talking about with him. But one of the things that's interesting is when you go to his website, which is like really great 1998 yahoo is it level. a geocities yeah he so he's a boston university professor he he uh he's responsible for apparently finding the first cut of shadows but in the section in shadows on his website he talks about how in 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 talking about the fact that john cassavetti's film is about black people he says um well you know it's not so much about black people as it is about this this delicious peach ale that's <laughs> uh, giving me gas um welcome to gas talk welcome to gas welcome to gas talk where we drink shit and tell and talk, tell and you <laughs> our loyal listeners what's happening to our bodies oh god so much gas um but uh in, in the pot in the uh, on the website he talked john cassavetti said something like you know i i don't think it's so much about race as it is about um human emotion which is you know fine like he was an, he wanted to be an artist and he said art shouldn't propagandize and all those things and then he says something to the effect, and I forgive me, loyal listeners, if I'm misquoting, but he says, you know, for a while I wanted to be a black man. Huh. Because to be a black man uh, is to really be something. But now black men are no different from white men. And he said that in like 1960. Yeah. Um, and through my, my modern gaze of 2018, I had a lot of trouble with that quote. And I think... You know, it could be the fact that that was 48 years ago that he said that, that... But it's um, it's a it's a good example of just like what do you I don't know it, it's a very it's a very not troubling but it's a difficult thing to read and not and to think a little bit about like if we're talking about Cassavetes as kind of a smart film gene in some ways kind of a brilliant filmmaker maybe not the greatest person to speak on his own behalf right because other than the casting which is obviously a huge misstep especially kind of when seen especially the perspective for guys, of 2018 and also a huge misstep in the sense that this is a movie about actors and yet he chose not to use actors that could reflect the true like a real experience because they haven't had it yeah uh but other than that which again is a huge fucking misstep it's a really progressive film it's not dated i think in it's like critique of racism in the fact that there are african-american actors here who are just like being themselves like there's no it doesn't in that sense yes it's not really about race and i think that's also i agree like really cool about the film one thing that i think is really cool about the film is that ben's two friends are these very very sort of as george pointed out white broy guys and i don't think they um like the black characters never stop and say like oh my god we're black yeah like, there's, let's comment there's on no, that. they're just living their lives and there's no moment where i kept expecting the bros to do something say something to be racist I, I was wondering if there was going to be a moment of discovery where they find out that ben is actually black yeah. oh that's a really good point i and never it thought never about happens because i assume they did know that he was i assume they did too yeah. but i but it never again not something that ever gets resolved 
And you have to wonder how much of that is intentional and how much of that is just a byproduct of the movie that they made if the whole film was, in fact, an improvisation. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, it's not... It, it is an inciting incident in the story, but it's not... Is that the inciting incident according to Wikipedia? The uh, confrontation with Tony, you mean? Or the Tony's uncomfortable... Tony's uncomfortability with the fact that... Yes, the woman that's, that, that's kind of... That he loves is... Which comes, you know... Again, according to Wikipedia. 45, 50 minutes into the totally. movie. Which, which, is, which, again, speaks to the fact that there's no real plot. And also, like, their romance is... They're literally on screen together for 20 minutes. Yeah. In a two-hour film. It's also it's also their whole romance is very suspect. Because he tells her he loves her, like, the, the night he... Like, it's clear to me at the beginning. Right. I never know how Tony truly feels. My, my She loses her virginity to him. My tendency is to think he's a lying sack of shit. Right? Well, because there's that moment where she kind of says, well, what do we do now? And he's like, well, what do you mean? What do we do now? Yeah, after they've had, after sex, they've had sex. And he says, do you want to live with me? And she says, no. I, she says no, but doesn't she also say something along the lines of, well, I, I, I kind of forget. She but I, cuddles him a little bit. Yeah, but then also she's kind of freaked out, too, which is kind of interesting. Yes. At, where she kind of says, like, I just want to go home. But she said something really powerful about just kind of... I don't, there's a certain sense in which she's obviously like not totally there. She's not digging it. Obviously, it was consensual. Sex, and he's not digging it either. Yeah. He's and I don't think it was. I mean, although he tries to comfort her, I get the sense that it's not the the best sex of of anyone's life because he says something like, "Next time it will be a lot better." Well, I think she says it was. It sucked. And then when they go home, she Does, she invites him up, and he's like, "I should go." No, oh, he no, says no, I'm he going insists. up with you. Right, I know, yeah, and she's right. like, no, he you insists. don't have to. And then there's that really funny exchange with the cab driver who's like, make up your minds. And also that the cab ride costs a whopping 75 cents. Oh, that's right. I was yeah. like, that's not $75. <laughs> that's what it would cost now. It was a 75 cent camera. Yeah. Apparently he lived half a block away from her. But Apparently. They it was really dangerous in yeah. New York then. So they decided to take a cab. It was 1959. It was lawless New York. So I think, you know, it's it's dealing with race. It's not about race. It's definitely progressive. Um, and I don't know that it would be fair to critique words said 50 years ago by a guy who I think put his, who quite frankly liked, he liked to talk about himself. Very much so. Yeah. Very much. Very obvious to me. Um, there is one thing that I think, I think it's a really simple movie and it's like, it's an externals, like in the sense that it it's doesn't have much of a story. But I think that the simplicity of its like execution speaks a lot to the depth of what else is going on. It's not a movie that explains how people feel. You know, one of the things that's interesting is that Carney talks about in the book. You might not notice it, but when you watch rewatch John Cassavetti's movie, you notice that he lingers on people's faces a lot longer, totally. a few seconds yeah. longer than someone else. It's really yeah. about internal stuff going on, and he it's very cinematic in that he allows the audience yeah. to kind of make make up their minds. And feel well, there's that, yeah, and for example, there's that, um, we should also maybe say that we have the film playing in the background. Yeah, the film is playing <laughs> in the background right now. But I totally forgot also that there's this beautiful kind of almost, well, there's a close-up, right? The camera like zooms in a little bit on Lilia's face when Hugh and Rupert, right? Hugh and Rupert come back and confront Tony. Yes. And yeah, there's just so much in her face because the actress like totally kills it. And he does a great job of, again, realizing that film is really much about expression or it can be obviously um and then there's this guy davy or david and he's kind of there's so the scene that the scene that's really difficult in the film is the scene where david davy comes to pick up lelia for a date and the whole family's home plus rupert rupert is hugh's manager rupert's fam rupert's fam and uh they're all kind of dicks to him and there's this moment that's on the screen right now that I forgot about where he tries to tell Hugh how to sing a song. Oh, right. And it's he's kind of like, no, you're not singing it right. And like to me, that's a nice moment because 
one I think that there is a bit of critique in John Cassavetti's approach to these characters like um Benny is the kind of like guy who talks a big game and does nothing Hugh is the sort of c-list singer that gets gigs out of town where he gets kicked off the not allowed to sing and Lelia who can't who hangs out with intellectuals but doesn't really engage there's a guy who actually does sing and like is in a choir and does these things and they instantly reject him they're like you don't know what you're fucking talking yeah. about and that's an that's an interesting moment because i think john cassavetes is critical of his characters as much as he is um maybe cares about them i Without think he question. accepts them as that's who they are. It's a it's a powerful moment. It challenges your own perception of the people that you're watching, and you can draw a line between like that, and like last night Emily and I watched the first f- fifteen minutes of Sharp Objects. Oh yeah, yeah. on HBO. What'd you think? I can't, I'm not. I'm, I turned you, it off. You done? Just, no, I just too. It's too. Was it the editing? The editing is really kind of off. The editing. I really off-putting. enjoyed it, but the editing. Did you watch the whole show? Yeah. See, yeah. I don't know. I can't. I'm just tired of HBO's HBO <laughs> needing to be like disturbing and troubling to do prestige television. Really, is starting to wear on me. I'm also glad you said that too, because there's definitely this. While you're watching it, there's this thing in the background. I was like, oh my god, this is so fucking edgy and cool. Like, yeah. isn't her intense? She cuts herself all the fucking time. And, uh, and it was kind of a turnoff. Does that happen? Oh, yeah. Oh, oh, oh you only watched the first 15 yeah, minutes. Yeah, first 15 yeah. minutes. I mostly I got to, like, the flashback where she sees the boys shooting the guns in the woods, and I was like, okay, bye. Bye, 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 bye. Um, Although I will say something, though. Wait, so, sorry. Say a little bit more well, about that scene, because I don't want to give too much away. I think that um, you're supposed to care about Amy Adams' character in that show because she's the protagonist. And because so, also she's Amy Adams and, and she's awesome. She's great. But you're also challenged by her as a character. You have to accept her for like all of her kind of faults. So, so maybe we should talk about the end. So let's talk about the end because I think... Fight oh, Club. It turns out that Benny and Q are the same person. In a sense. Isn't like Benny's though... There's that moment, which again, where like Tony comes back to the apartment to apologize in person, and Benny kind of puts him to the, pulls him to the side, and is like willing to at least kind of like hear him out, and he does, and he's like, okay, I'll re- I'll tell Lelia what you said, right? Which um, is a nice moment. Yeah, you mean the moment where they kind of reconcile? Or, oh, where you mean when Benny gets into the fight? I was he's making a, he's an a joke because you said Fight Club. Oh, I mean, I meant just remember at the very last scene where they get into that. So there's a fight between. But maybe we're sorry. Maybe we should back up and talk about where Benny's a dick to that woman, in the party. Oh yeah. And she throws like the drink in his face, and then he fucking hits her. So they have a party at their apartment. Yeah, I fuck. Yeah, and then how did I forget? And, about and that's when that's Hugh bad. obviously is like, "What the fuck are you doing?" Yeah, so Correctly. Benny. So Hugh has a party at his apartment, and yeah, but, um, did you hear that tapping? That's me furiously remembering things. Welcome Damn to, it! Welcome to Tapcast. Tapcast, where we tap that book. Ooh, that's a. Th- Kind of Are we gonna get an E on this podcast? Yeah. When it gets on upload on iTunes, M plus. Is that is this that a is rating? This is the night trap of of podcasts. <laughs> the night trap. Welcome to Night Trap Podcast, an oral history of Night Trap. That video game? Yeah. <laughs> um. Anyway, we maybe just talk guys, about that video guys, game for a second. Do you guys like that Fucking we're making jokes about the Dana name of our Plato. podcast that you're Dana Plato. Dana Plato. We've talked about this. We have talked. Because there was a day where you hung out and you were like, what'd you do today? And I was like, I read the oral history oh, of Night Trap. Right. And I definitely fucking went back and I read that. <laughs> Not like via Wikipedia. Yeah, via uh, the John Cassavetes website. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, of course. The John Cassavetes. Uh, and renamed in John Cassavetes is an uh, honor. Yeah. The John Wicca Festival. John Wicca Wicca. Wicca Wicca. You guys still listening? From now on. Guys? Yeah. Our family's still our, listening. Our family's They're still all, listening. My, my dog's just, still listening. Yeah, the dog's... Yep, still alive. She doesn't have a 
choice. So Benny acts like a dick at this party. Hugh throws him out correctly right because he hits a woman in the he face does, yeah. because he's a, she wants to get him to have a drink he doesn't right. want to drink because he's being a surly and asshole. It's, he's because he's a surly piece of shit have you ever felt like that at a party not like where you you've hit someone <laughs> but have you ever gone to a party and been in the corner and been like fuck this dude all the time yeah, all the time yeah. uh, we we also forgot to mention that benny also inappropriately wears sunglasses at night yeah that's weird which well, i think is where nicholson stole that aesthetic from uh, which yeah, a lot of people haven't pointed out and I'm sure he's listening to this podcast yeah. and he's going to write an angry email right now or at least tweet at us. And Jack. I know he's not on Twitter. I know he's not on Twitter. Is he but, not? Uh, I don't think so. Well, then at some point, Benny comes back to grab and they some reconcile, shit and they sort of reconcile. But he won't let him leave. And it's, but they don't, again, they don't talk about anything. They just sort of like agree to love each other again. There's really which no, is, which is probably real life. Yeah, I mean, talk about. It. I mean, what's there to like? I mean, obviously, yes, you should have said, "Hey, well, you did really fucking awful." Probably shouldn't have hit that woman in the face. Right, but they do reconcile. They do. Where's Lelia the, at that point? She's not. Isn't she, she out on the date? She might be out on a date. Yeah, she's out on the date, and that's when also at the very end, Hugh like runs away. So then they try to catch the bus to Chicago. Hugh and Rupert and Cincinnati, but one of the gigs falls through, and that's when Rupert like has his shining moment. Which is on the screen right now. Where he gives this monologue about how fucking difficult it is and about like what the fuck are they doing with their lives. It's very hopeful. It is. Well, it, it actually ends with Hugh kind of reassuring Rupert and saying, hey, you're the best manager in the world. I'm the best singer in the world. Let's fucking do this. And then they drop the mic and get on that bus, which I'm not going to do. Please don't, because I don't own that mic. Because you don't own these mics. And then we get the final scene. Where Ben E... Which is the, how you have to pronounce it too, Ben E. Ben E. Yeah, Ben E. Uh, what Benny? Tom and Dennis. Tom and Dennis. It's amazing that you remember this. Because <laughs> I've written Benny, down. Benny, Tom, and Dennis uh, are in hitting a bar. On, uh, I believe it's a restaurant. Restaurant are hitting on some uh, women. Yep. And, and they're not good at it. They're not good at it at all, which I could relate to. Benny's pr- Benny might be the best. Benny because, might be the best. Well, because he's a musician. Sensitive allure. Of course. And then these dudes come out and are not happy that they're talking to their their ladies. They'd probably call them their dames. I believe so. Yeah. And um and and uh, then they get into a fight. And they get into a fight in the in an alleyway. In an alleyway and or Benny, like a room. It's not even an alleyway. It's like it looks a, like it's an alleyway. And then Tom, my, Dennis, and Benny get the shit kicked out of them. But real bad. Real bad. Remind me of Goodwill Hunting. It reminded me of the fight ah. in Goodwill Hunting. Well, also because there's all that all that Apple talk right before. <laughs> The fight breaks out. Like, it's like, do you like apples? Like, what do you mean? <laughs> what kind of apples? And yeah. then the other guy's like, Granny Smith's like, what the fuck? <laughs> well, and then there's that whole bit where he's like, of course that's your contention. You're a first year graduate student. You probably just got finished reading. I'll do the whole thing if you want. Me Dude, to. Let's go. I can't. I can't. Like, that would be fucking amazing. It would be incredible. Um, but they get, yeah, they get into a fight. And then I don't know if you noticed this. You probably did because I saw a notes on a tablet. It says, fuck you on the wall. <laughs> Oh, it did not notice that. And it says like uh, the the position that the guy who's beating the shit out of Benny it says someone's like written "fuck you" on the wall, ah. and you gotta wonder like 1958. Nine. That, I mean, the, 1959. Well, 90, that movie's not getting a release with that in there. So, That's like, really interesting. Yeah, it says that "fuck you." Snuck in there. Snuck in there. I, I'm pretty sure you couldn't use that word in a movie in 1959. Huh. I did not notice. I did notice some other visual irony. I forgot what it said, but there's that one shot where it shows all three of them, and I think either Dennis or Tom. I get them confused gets up and there's it's a, there's something written on the wall um like watch your step or something like yeah, that yeah, but yeah, i did yeah. not see the fuck you it says fuck you in big letters so the next scene and i actually think that if like if i can if i can 
are t- this part was, this part's weird when they're walking around like <laughs> <laughs> that, that is that's not an exaggeration that's actually audio directly from the film <laughs> i put the microphone up to the tv and but clearly Casavetta, clearly that's where the Muppets got that from. Yeah. They then go to another place and they have some beers. And they're sort of nursing their wounds. And they reminisce about their fight. And they talk about the fight. And, and one of them is really philosophical. He's like, ah, sometimes you get your ass beaten. Sometimes you know, it's just life. The, kind of the dumb one is philo- philosophical. Yeah. But then Benny says something about how he's like tired of this thing and of yeah. this happening. And he has this line that's like, I don't want to be schmaltzy or sentimental, but like... I don't want to do this anymore. And I don't think the I, I think that that's like a pretty clear character arc. He goes from being a guy who's kind of like passive, not in the driver's seat, yeah. and and to that moment. And then in the very next scene, one of the guys goes home, the other goes to buy like a newspaper or something, and Benny just walks into the night. So it's a very clear character arc for this guy. Yeah, but what do you think it turns into? You think it turns into like one of the husbands and husbands? Well, I think what's a big moment of that is that he says, I don't want to be schmaltzy or sentimental. And I think that that's like a key to understanding on some level what the movie's about. Because there are characters, character growth in this movie. Um, they all grow and change. But they, but does it's Lelia? not broad. Yeah, I think Lelia does. I mean, I think you're remembering that. So after she gets into the, she has sort of this torrid relationship with Tony. She goes on a date with this guy, and he kind of sees right through her. And he's like, "You are not a mean person." Oh, that's right. At the very yeah, and they're dancing, when they're dancing, and they're and like she's sort of at a certain point, they st- they stop talking and they just dance. She's clearly shaken by what he has had to say about her. There's never a moment where she says anything, and you know maybe some of this is me looking for it, but I think that all of these characters change in some way and they don't ever broadcast it. And I think it's worth thinking about what movies were like at this point and what most people were seeing. Yeah, but I also wonder to what degree... And I, I don't disagree with you that the characters do change or at least some of them do. I just saw the fuck you on the screen. You're right, there. You were, you were not right in there. that. Yeah, you were not in that. It's like Catcher in the Rye. Remember? No. You, don't remember, you never read Catcher in the Rye? I haven't read it in a long time. Well, I have 30 copies there on the wall if you want to take one of them, but just don't take the rest. What's going on with that? Yeah. I don't don't ask. Just the thing. I this, was in a special program. This thing with Jodie Foster and Ronald Reagan. Next time it goes on back. Conspiracy Theory Podcast <laughs> with Mel Gibson. So, so the, the thing about the characters changing over yeah. time. So yes, I agree they do. But I also wonder to what degree that's actually maybe kind of knock on the film because that's a really kind of conventional thing to do. Even in 1959, obviously, in the most conventional film, you're watching characters change or kind of have a conventional kind of sure, art. Sure, but this isn't an experimental movie. I mean, it's a pretty traditionally narrative, especially, I mean, maybe not by 1958 standards, but there's this is... Nine. A, 19, whatever. This is, a, this is a conventional movie. I'm surprised you'd say that. Conventional in, in what way? Well, there's characters Just and they change. Char- oh, yeah. I mean, it's not fucking like... It's not a, Hollis a Frampton. Stan yeah, Let's name Sam- all the pretend... Like, it's not a Chantal Ackerman yeah. movie. Yeah. It's not a. It's not a Mekis. I'm Jonas just Mekis. Jonas Mekis it's film. A, uh, it's not a. It's not a fucking Brackage Michael Bay movie. film. It's not a Michael Bay film. Yeah. It's not. We're a, clearly trying to say something. Derek about Jarman, late Derek Jarman of, film. Of fucking course. Look at me just co-opting yeah. these filmmakers for my <laughs> joke. I'm the best at this. It's totally fine, but I no, I mean, but there's it still has that kind of rawness. What, okay. It has the fuck let's, you on the wall? Let's dissect this. When you say rawness, what do you mean? What I mean? I mean that... I'm, I'm suspect. I'm suspect of this word. Oh, because you're saying because it wasn't improvised. No, and I also think that, like, we look at that as a virtue in a John Cassavetes movie. Like, so much of our association with him as an artist is like, oh, none of it's planned. Well, I'm whatever. glad you said that. It's because the only parts about this film that I didn't like were its rawness. It's real raw. Yeah. It's like it's awkward editing. 
the fact that kind of obviously the audio is off at certain points. No, yeah, because I, I I hate that like myth of oh, authenticity and rawness and shit. It's bullshit. Totally. But I, I mean, mean, I meant in terms of the the fact that it's just really about the acting performances. That there's no plot. That it's just really about you watching these characters do a whole bunch of mundane kind of shit. Live you know, maybe lives. it's not like you can't identify what would be like his polar attitudes, but he goes from being a guy who doesn't know what he wants at all to knowing like, well, I don't want this. And Lelia goes from being like kind of Lelia, I would say, goes through the largest kind of thing at the beginning. She's sort of is she restored to her former self? No, don't you say she's kind of jaded and very cynical? jaded. But but, you know, that whole argument of like the hero's journey being her coming back to who she was having changed or whatever the it's case very Joseph be. Campbell thank you yes well it's a huge influence on this movie <laughs> of course which is funny too because I was watching Beethoven's second with my niece and nephew yesterday uh, before I watched this and I was like really lots of eerie parallels yeah, like that dog in Beethoven is in shadows no it was gonna be totally method oh is yeah total method actor oh yeah, actually a cat he just closed his notebook <laughs> to just to delineate where we are in and the... we are done now, um do you have any closing thoughts no i just can't wait to uh continue working through the oeuvre oeuvre the i mean i think that the the thing that i hope that we can we can uh, if anyone's still listening Nobody that has. we can we can tackle uh, is and i don't know that we did that here but is john cassavetes as the filmmaker and not john cassavetes as the subject of too many articles or just even the fucking films themselves which is the way to do it? Because I do not have time to read more about. John oh my God! I don't, the man. It's, it's uh, woo. So the next film would be Faces. It wouldn't be, and this oh. is what I wanted to talk to you about. This is fucking between, throwing me for a loop right now. Between Shadows and Faces, John Cassavetes. Marty just had a heart attack. <laughs> <laughs> Should we call nine one one or just keep recording? Let's just finish this. It's like 20 more minutes. He's also like 75. Yeah, He's lived a great life. On. Come on. He's um, made some of the fucking greatest movies of all time. So, um, in 1961 and 1963, John Cassavetes directed studio films. Whoa. He directed a studio film called, well, in 1961, called Too Late Blues. And in 1963, he directed A Child is Waiting. Too Little Blues. Is anybody uh, worth mentioning? Too, Too Late Blue? Blues. Uh, Too Late Bobby Blues. Bobby Darren. Bobby Darren. Huh? It's the story of jazz musician Ghost Wakefield and his relationship with both his band members and his love interest, uh-huh. Jess, a beautiful would-be singer. So he's going back to It's a little bit of stuff. jazz, yeah. yeah. And this was like a real studio picture. Paramount uh, paid for it. What? And he made two studio pictures and was like, I'm never doing this again. I think it's important for us to do this because we're covering the whole oeuvre. Okay. Um, the other thing to remember is he did direct five episodes of Columbo. Um, oh, holy so, shit. Yeah, and Kojak, I think. He might have directed a Kojak. So I don't know if we include that. We should maybe talk about that off mic. Yeah, they're part of the. Oof. It's, just, it's just amazing that he walked. With, he worked with Peter Falk on. I think that's Columbo. how they met each other. Oh really? I think so. Huh. So Columbo was before Husbands. Oh no, Columbo would have been after. Yeah. So they must have worked together. Um, but he was Peter Falk was in several Cassavetes movies. I mean, they were they were tight. Correct. He's in yeah. Wonder Woman. Correct. Correct. Oh, correct. thank you. Correct. You correct. are. You're correct. According to the John Cassavetes textbook. Correct. You're correct. There's a story about how John Cassavetes was directing a scene and there was like a gaffer on the set and he went over to him. He's like, Hey, what do you think of the scene? And the gaffer was like, um, well, I don't think. And he was like, Oh, thanks. And like, he actually asked him what he thought. And that young gaffer was Steven Spielberg. Whoa. Mm-hmm. It's a cool story. Mind blown. Mind blown. And then you know what? Actually, which actually I wrote this, this was in the uh, Steven Spielberg 
documentary on HBO. Did you see this? I, I watched because uh, I made the I made my entire uh, wife's family right. on Christmas Day watch that while I. Sat Do you remember that scene room? where Spielberg is looking at Cassavetes and is like, "You look like a fucking shark," like I'm like, and that's Jaws right there. <laughs> Like little little known fact, no. This is why well, you really have all the stories. <laughs> is this thing on? Where Hello? did you? I, no, I haven't been recording. Any I just of I just read a lot oh, of fuck. I just read a lot of things. That was, um, should we should we finish here? Okay. Well, Thanks. this is this is uh, George Fragopoulos. This is Liam Billingham. We're called, sorry. Uh, we're sorry. Yeah. We're sorry. The podcast. All right. See you soon. Bye. We'll be fine. Um, do you think Dinesh D'Souza and Michael Bay go to In-N-Out Burger together? Thoughts? George, George, where are you going? Yes. Oh, God, George is having a heart attack. <laughs> I'm giving CPR to Marty Scorsese. <laughs>